Um, but before we get started, I like to talk about why we're here. Can I do that for a little bit? All right. So, how many of you have read this book or even heard of the book by Wallace Waddle? Good, good, good. Good, 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 good. Bad, 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 bad. Okay, Wallace Waddle. Easy book to read, find it. It was printed in 1905. He wrote this before Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that book. Good. So I think Napoleon Hill read this book and was inspired by it. And it's a very simple book. You can read it in like two hours, even if you're reading it upside down. Um, it's very easy to read, and it's a simple message. And basically he says, you want to get rich? The formula is very simple. As long as you are providing something that is more valuable than what your customer pays you, you will get rich. As long as you are providing something that is more valuable than your patient pays you, you will get rich. Now you can think about that. I'm the kind of person where I'm like stayed up all night one night thinking about that. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And no matter how you do it, he's right. If you provide something that is more valuable than what your customer pays you, you will get rich. That is the basis of having a job. If your employee provides something that is more valuable than you pay them, they will get rich. Good morning. How are you? Good. I, I, I like your color ensemble, your white hat and your blue shirt. You look like you're ready to go fishing, and I'm ready to go fishing, so. There you go, all right. So look at that. If your employee provides less than what you pay him, what's gonna happen? No? You gotta realize, there's a standard in America worth a lot of jobs where you don't work your ass off. You just take it easy. Slow down, dude, what are you working so hard for? Anybody ever have a union job? I did, pouring concrete. Dude, what are you working so hard for? Because I'm getting paid for it. Slow down, man, you're making us all look bad. If your employee provides less than you pay him, what's gonna happen? You're gonna go out of business. And will they have a job? So will their income go up or down? They might be playing video games and getting paid for it, but they won't be getting paid as if they were working. And will they be as happy? No. What's the best way to happiness at work? Being productive. I'm telling you. So if you're a good employer and you recognize that your employee is providing more than you're paying them, what would you do? Give them a raise because you're going to give them more responsibility. If you're a good employer and you recognize that one of your employees is all of a sudden doing more than you're paying her to do, and she's carrying her weight and then some, I'd be really smart to promote that person. Right? Well, okay, sorry. <laughs> Making Jerry nervous. Everybody's going, who is that girl? I'm going to offer her a job. <laughs> do you get it? So the key is you got to be a good employer. you got to recognize your employees who actually produce for you. And when you do, you better take care of them. And they'll make more money. And they'll advance their way up. And they'll get rich. And that's the same for you. If you're selling stem cells, oh, let's say not for $5,000, let's say you're selling them for $10,000. Is that more valuable than what the patient's going to get? Or is what the patient's going to get more valuable than the $10,000? So let's look at that. Let's look at the free market. 
That's what this guy says, though, and I'm telling you, when you look at something like stem cells or regenerative medicine, we are providing way more than what they're paying us. Because what happens if they don't get the regenerative medicine? What is the number one reason an opioid prescription is written in the United States? What's the number one diagnosis for an opioid prescription? Back pain. Back pain is a sub area of chronic degenerative arthritis, which is the number one ailment that Americans and all human beings on this planet suffer from, chronic degenerative arthritis. And what's the number one treatment for chronic degenerative arthritis in the United States? What kind of drugs? No. Opioids. Opioids, you don't believe me? Just look at it. Opioids have officially become the number one cause of death of Americans under the age of 50. If they don't get your product, that's where they're going. One out of three people that are prescribed opioids, see, not everybody responds to opioids the same way, right? So they did a study back in the 90s to promote this. How many of you got my book? How many of you read it? How many read the chapter on opioids? So how many people were in the final study that said opioids are not addictive? 37. Do you think, hey, let's get 37 people together, do a study and promote it to Congress and get the whole world to adapt this new program? You think that's the way it went? No. It's like they had 1,000 people and had to get rid of all the ones who were going to have a problem. That's how it works. Who employs those people? I forget what their degree is. Is Dave in here still? Do you, do you know what the name of that degree is, where they swab the DNA? Okay, okay, the number one employer of those people is pharmaceutical companies. They're testing these people and weeding out everybody that has side effects. That's how it works. That's why they can say these are not addictive. Now, looking in retrospect, the government is going, holy crap, we got this huge epidemic, and they realize that one out of three people that get prescribed an opioid are addicted to it in three days. Addicted. Like, a heroin addict. And what's the result of this whole movement now to cut the opioid prescription in the United States? Because you hear about it on the news, right? Although it's starting to taper off because we got it under control. They're not talking about the new heroin epidemic. Because what's happening to these people that were prescribed opioids for their back pain and they cut them off? Where are they going? What's cheaper, heroin or an opioid prescription? Heroin. And that's where they're going. We're like the highest epidemic of heroin I think we've ever been at. The United States has the highest drug overdose death rate in the world. The highest. More than all of South America combined. And it's prescription drugs that are getting these people into this situation. So that's what they get if they don't buy your regenerative medicine. So let me repeat what I said. As long as what you're providing is more valuable than what they're paying, you will get rich. So I'll ask you again, is that $5,000 for that injection to stop that knee surgery worth it? What's the average deductible for surgery? They're going to have to come up with that money even if they get surgery, right? But then they got good insurance. So here's what happens. I'll tell you a quick story. A guy in his late 50s, has, is told by his doctor, 
you need bilateral knee replacements. You have arthritis, look, you've been screwing around with these knees for the last 10 years, let's just fix you up so you're just peachy. So we're gonna do knee replacement, we'll do one at a time. We'll do the right knee first, because it's the worst one, and then we'll do the left one. So he goes and he gets the right knee replacement. And what happens is, he starts noticing as he's recovering in the hospital after the surgery that it's a little bit sore. Like, I didn't know, I knew it was gonna be sore, but this is really sore. And they look at him and they go, oh crap, he's got MRSA. He caught an infection in the hospital. His knee is infected. So they sit him down and they say, well, he was sitting because he wasn't able to stand. And they say, so here's the deal. We're gonna have to um, kill this infection and if we don't, we're gonna have to either do that knee replacement again or we might even have to amputate your leg. So they put him on a pick line and for four months, he's not using that knee, he's on crutches and he's trying to kill this infection. Luckily for him, they kill the infection. But then, he can't move the knee because he had surgery four months earlier and it's stiff as a board. So they go, don't worry, we can take care of that. We gotta go back in, put you under anesthesia again and manipulate the knee under anesthesia. So when he woke up from that, I'm not here. That's Colleen, where is he? Oh, there she is. <laughs> so, do you guys know Colleen? Aren't I a lucky guy? Look at how beautiful that woman is. Woo! So they manipulate him under anesthesia. When he wakes up, he says, that felt worse than the surgery. I felt like I got run over by a tank, right? So now they go, now we gotta do rehab. Luckily though, we don't have to take your leg off. So they put him through rehab and now it's a lot more rehab and it's months of rehab for him to learn how to walk again. So it's about nine months from the time he gets the surgery to the time he's able to actually start walking again. And they say, now let's do your right knee. And he goes, you know, I've done some stupid things in my life, and now I realize one of the dumbest things I've done in my life is not listen to my brother Mike Carberry, who told me not to get this knee replacement surgery and I should get stem cells or regenerative medicine. So he flew to my clinic in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he got his other knee injected. He is one of my biggest referral sources that we have to work out deals with hotels in the area for people to fly into Chattanooga to get injections. The last time we had somebody fly into Chattanooga was last week. I think the next time we're gonna have somebody flying to Chattanooga is next week. So how big is your market? Well, mine goes all the way up to Philadelphia, and New York, and Denver, and uh, Portland, Oregon, because that's where people have flown into my clinic in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and there's no direct flights to get stem cells, to get regenerative medicine. Because he realized, crap, I almost lost my leg. I almost lost my life. Now he says to me, I'm at a, a barbecue with him a couple months ago, and he says, it's been a year, my right or my left knee is so much better than my right knee, I wish I never got that surgery. As long as what you're providing for your customer is more valuable than what they're paying you for, you will get rich. So should you get rich? Let's talk about society. Shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about society. We live in a capitalist society. What does that mean? It's not socialist. And right now, socialism is becoming like a cool thing to hear about in college. I'm telling you, socialism sucks. You don't believe me? Talk to somebody who came from a socialist country. It sucks. Redistribute wealth. What works the best is when people go, hey, I can make whatever I can make if I just put a plan together and start working hard. What you have is a lot of people start working hard. That's what all of you are doing. And you start working hard. What does that do to the economy? It builds it up. What does that do to society? When you start taking money away from people who work hard, what do they do? They work less. 
What's that do to the economy? What's that do to society? So you're in a capitalistic society, right? And you are going to start bringing more income into your office. You're not doing it by yourself. You have help from people. And your job is to create an environment for those people to meet their goals. Your employees deserve to meet their goals, their professional goals, their personal goals, their financial goals. You have to create that environment. If you start to sell these stem cells, these, this regenerative medicine tissue, you're going to help people avoid a tragedy in their life, but you're also going to provide a pathway for your employees to get rich. That's the way it works. That's why I talked about Wallace Waddle. That's the way it works. Your job is to create an environment where your employees go, man, Jerry and Kelly, they're awesome. I will walk through fire for them because they're doing something really good for humanity. Now you've got to walk through fire. Right? That's the way it works. And if they're smart, they'll promote that girl up as she walks through fire because she's really good at it. That's the way it works. That's the way a job works. That's the way the economy works. That's the way society works. You want a better society? It starts with us. Why do we got to do this? <coughs> First of all, you have to have some skill with people. How many of you ever heard of this book? This book takes you about an hour and a half to read if you fall asleep in the middle of it. It's, this is the kind of books I like, the ones you can polish off like on lunch break. I'm telling you, this book is packed with gems. You should get this book. If you say, I oh, can't afford both books, this one's like $6 and the other one's $8, buy this one. Because this one teaches you how to get along with people. And it's so basic, it is so basic, you might be tempted to go, I don't need to read this book. And I'm telling you, you know what? I'm reading this book every day for the next 30 days. It is so basic, it's stuff I knew, and I go, but I don't always do it. This is extremely important. How you interact with people at work, how you interact with patients and customers, how you interact with the gas station attendant in Portland because it's one of the two states where you can't pump your own gas. Did you know that? Anybody know what the other state is? Kevin? Jersey, that's right. Jersey and Oregon. The only place in Oregon you can pump your own gas is if you go on an Indian reservation because that's considered technically another country. That's pretty cool. So I go there to get my gas. <laughs> and I get out, I'm like, I know how to do this. I used to live in Georgia. <laughs> so get that book. Let's talk about the viewpoint. Why do I want you guys all to get rich? And I'm not just talking about the owners. I'm talking about the employees, too. Why? In a capitalistic society, how do you change something? I'm glad I showed up today. You have to provide a solution that people can get rich at and they'll promote it. That is the only way. The only way for me to change healthcare is for you to get rich doing it. You don't want to get rich? Then get the hell out of my room. Because I need people that are going to help me change healthcare. Because healthcare the way it is, sucks. I think we need to change the system. I can tell you, after working with medical people for the last three decades, chiropractors go, well, you know, I got into healthcare to help people. Well, so did the medical people. 80% of chiropractors got into healthcare to help people. 80% of medical doctors got into healthcare to help people. And I would probably say it's more like 90% of nurse practitioners and PAs got into healthcare to help people. 
We are not enemies. We are allies. The drug companies want us to be enemies. The drug companies want to keep us splintered because if they divide us, they conquer us. If we unite, we turn around and go, what the hell are we prescribing drugs that are more addictive than heroin to people that have an ingrown toenail for? And you're going to have people shouting at you. I just got, uh, last night, it was just given, there's a podiatrist in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, who's writing this stuff about Dr. Mike Carberry being this crazy chiropractor that's doing stem cells, he's going to get everybody in trouble and he's going to kill people. So I started looking up who the doctor was. He lost his license in 2013 for prescribing opioids to non-patients. You're going to do something different, you're going to become a target. It's a matter of your viewpoint on how you handle that. You want to cower and go, oh God, I don't want to be yelled at, I don't want to get in trouble. I go, screw you, look at your system. You're killing people. The leading cause of death is the number one treatment in the United States. Are you kidding me? Barbara Starfield in 2010, or 2000, before, thank you, before the opioids even started, said, is our healthcare effective? She said, I want to know if the American healthcare is effective. It's the most expensive one in the world. American healthcare costs more than every other country in the world combined. Did you know that? And it's been that way for decades. Our price tag for healthcare is more than the entire rest of the world combined, and we are only 4.6% of the world's population. So if we're spending the dollars right and our system works, we would be the healthiest country in the world. So she compared us to the top 12 countries in the world, and where did we come in? Last place. Last place. Last place. Imagine if you were a race car driver. Everybody in this room is their own race car driver. We're going to have a race. And I got my car, and you all got your cars. And my car costs more than all of your cars put together. Wouldn't you be a little nervous? Oh, there's Dr. Carver. He's got the most expensive car here. He's going to kick ass. And then we do the race, and I come like rolling in last. <laughs> and every time we do a race, I come rolling in last. What would you tell me to do? I would say more than get a new car, I'd say, get the hell out of racing, you're no good at it. That's where we're at in healthcare. That's what she found in 2000. Her study was repeated. She said in 2000, before the opioids even took off, that the leading cause of death in the United States, number one is heart disease, number two is cancer, number three is side effects from medical treatment. That's what she found out. And she broke it down. How many people die from prescription drugs, side effects of properly prescribed drugs, mistakes, infections, wrong surgery, added it all up and said, you know what? It's 250,000 people that put it in number three cause of death in the United States. And then she said, and I only counted deaths in a hospital. If we start looking at private practice in nursing homes, it could be number one. This is the head of healthcare. She decides what they're gonna teach the doctors at the medical schools, at the country's biggest number one medical school. Her study was repeated in 2011 no, 2013, and this time she couldn't be part of it because she was prescribed a drug in 2011 that interacted with another drug and it killed her. That's exactly what she reported. Iatrogenic disease is the number one cause, or number three cause of death. And she said it could be number one. So they did the study again in 2013, and this time they did it on 16, 17 countries, and the United States came in 17th place. And now, number 17, the United States, rolling in after everybody's done with the party after the race. 
That's the healthcare system we belong to. So do you guys want to continue to be part of that? Or would you like to change it? Yeah, you can't just bitch about, oh, the system sucks, the system sucks, the system sucks. You got to come up with an alternative, right? So I used to sleep, be awake at night, ask my wife, thinking about stuff like this, like, well, what the hell am I going to do? And this is what I came up with. What part of healthcare do we have to change? So I came up with this thing called a disease timeline. How many of you ever saw this before? Oh, good. This is for the rest of you then, and for you guys. So the way we look at disease in this country is like this. This is the day the disease starts, and this is the day it ends. What usually happens on that day? Huh? Cured. Who said that? That should be the answer. He's the fourth person in the last three decades that answered that way. And I've asked that question about 25,000 people. Cured. But what do you all say? Not good's going to die. That's the end. All over. Right? That's what we've actually grown to believe. That's our viewpoint. So do you know you have the disease the day it starts? No. What do you have to experience to know you got a disease? Symptoms. Raise your hand if you think that first symptom of that disease is going to occur in the first half of the disease. Raise your hand if you think it's going to occur in the second half. Raise your hand if you refuse to raise your hand. And then anybody who didn't raise your hand, if you're sitting next to somebody who didn't raise their hand, grab their hand right now. Go ahead, do it, do it, do it. I'm going to not stop until I get every damn hand in this room in the air. So grab their hand. Everybody, right now, grab the hand of the person next to you. Grab the hand, grab the hand. Everybody, everybody. And I'm going to single you out if you don't do it. And raise their hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Raise your hand. Thank you. Raise your hand. Thank you. All right. So what do you think the public thinks? When you ask the public, what do they say? First half, second half? Well, they used to, and about five years ago, they started saying second half. What happened five years ago? Or maybe even 10 years ago. The best thing that ever happened in healthcare. Deductibles and co-payments went up. You're going, what? No, that killed my business. No, it didn't. Now that patient's looking at a $5,000 deductible to go into the hospital to get surgery, plus the copayment, and when are they going to find out how much that is? 12 weeks after surgery. What's the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in the United States? Unpaid medical bills. So you don't pull that bull crap. You sit down with them right before they start and say, before you get this procedure, it's going to be $5,000. And they go, I'm telling you, I've sat in my office and watched this happen. Well, that's cheaper than my copayment for the surgery. Who do I make it out to? One time I went in and I sat down. I was just doing a spot check with the case manager. I'm just sitting there and this woman sits down and goes, now before we get started, how much are your stem cells? And I'm looking at the case manager and he's looking at me like, what do I say? I'm like, he goes, well, typically they're $5,000 for the first injection. I'm not paying that. My sister got stem cells. She paid $4,800. I'm not paying a penny over $4,800. There's no way. And he goes, oh, well, how many areas do you have as a complaint? Well, my knees. Oh, well, the second one is, it's half price if you buy the first one and the second one today. So it'd be twenty-five, it'd be seventy-five hundred dollars for both of them. That's cheaper than my sister got. Can you do my shoulder too? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. She bought three stem cells, three injections. Right? So it's all. I mean, it's your viewpoint. You look at this and you go, it's cheaper for them to get this. That's why the best thing ever happened to us is have the deductibles go up because people got skin in the game and they're starting to go online and research stuff. And they're realizing, you know what? Symptoms are the last thing to show up. I'll prove it to you. What's the leading cause of death in the United States, officially? 
Heart disease. 700,000 Americans die of heart disease every year. Did you know that? About 350,000 of those people all had the same first symptom. What was it? The heart attack that killed them. That means half of the leading cause of death, the first symptom showed up right there. That's following the standard of care. That's stupid. What's the second leading cause of death in the United States? Cancer. Raise your hand if you knew somebody had cancer. You know I'm going to come around and get you to raise your hand. Look around the room. So, you're all qualified to answer this question. Can you have tumors and not have a symptom? For how long? Years. So there's the two leading causes of death with symptoms showing up at the very end of the disease. My father was diagnosed with cancer three months before he died. And when we asked the doctor, how long do you think he had it? Well, he's got a half-eaten vertebrae, a missing rib, a missing carpal bone. We'd say probably about 10 years. He was dead in three months. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Your dad must be a tough guy. He didn't even feel any of this stuff. Yeah, he was tough. He was a submariner in World War II. And that was his demise because he didn't get the symptom. So why the hell are we basing our health care on symptoms? And it is. What's the leading prescription in the United States and what's it for? Pain. We got to stop this insanity. We got to start going, hey, let's measure function. If you go over with Dr. Dave and Dr. Scott today, you're going to learn how to measure function in a physical medicine problem, upper cross and lower cross syndrome. That system of re writing orders for rehab was invented by a medical doctor who did research of another medical doctor. This stuff is out there, you just don't hear about it because it doesn't sell drugs. So, you need to end this insanity. We need to get people to realize, hey, just because the symptom's gone doesn't mean you're fixed. When you give them that stem cell, if they go, great, I feel great, like from the moment the needle left my leg, I felt so wonderful. <laughs> that didn't fix them. You still gotta fix them. Chiropractic, rehab, bracing, all that stuff's gonna fix them. You gotta fix them. Well, how long does this last? Well, if you put the tires on the front end that's still out of alignment, probably not so long. We should really do some alignment work. Don't you agree? This is focusing on function, not symptoms. Function, not symptoms. Full function. Do you get it? And if you guys go out and you start providing a service or a product that is more valuable to your patients than what they're paying you, you will get rich, and that is an essential ingredient for us to change healthcare. And not just the owners, the employees too. I can't run my clinic in Chattanooga, Tennessee from 200 or 2,000 miles away unless I reward the people that are doing a great job in that clinic doing it. Dr. DePole is one of them. Scott, raise your hand and they get rewarded for it. It would be wrong of me not to do that. That's the only way you take over healthcare. So when you start bringing in all this money from stem cells, don't run out and buy a new house and a new car and all this stuff. Start thinking about investing in your practice and your team. The reason we do 50 trainings a year is so you guys can be black belts on how to fix people. Do you understand that? And we realize if you don't get the money coming in from something fast, you're gonna go upside down. Your margins are not gonna be where they're supposed to be. You need a big margin to pay for the expansion of your business. And regenerative medicine will provide you on how to do that, which is why we're gonna teach you today how we do it and how I've made lots and lots of money doing it. And there's nothing wrong with making money. 
If you make money and you start taking care of people around you, you will improve your society and everybody around you. And that's what I believe you people will do because I'm looking at a room full of good people, not a room full of greedy people. Don't buy into the hype you're going to see in the news about business people being evil and mean and anything to take over healthcare or anything to take over any type of industry. That's bullshit. Most business people, small entrepreneurs, which is us, is the largest employer in the United States. And it is your duty to provide an environment for your employees and your patients to thrive and improve their personal, their professional, and their financial standings. And you get that stem cell into that person's knee or hip or back and you change their life, those three things will start to improve. And you need to be asking them about it. Do you understand that? How many of you have never done an injection of stem cells in your life, in your clinic? Raise your hand. I was scared when I was in your shoes. So was my nurse practitioner. She'd never done it. And I said, okay, look, the first person might grow horns. But we don't know what's gonna happen. They might get a tail. They might drop over dead. So the first person that you're gonna inject is me. And that's what she did. And the second person she injected was my wife. And this was after two shoulder surgeries and I gave up bow hunting and fly fishing and, and the Dr. DePaul can tell you, I went with a couple of clients from the master's group last week and I was doing pretty good with that fly rod, wasn't I? Because I can do it again now because of regenerative medicine. You need to find reasons that your patients are gonna need you and then get them to get that service because you will be doing them the biggest service. If you learn, learn how to collect that money from them, it'll be the best thing for them that you ever did. And eventually they will go, thank God I went to this place because what I got was way more valuable than the money I spent to get it. You guys get it? The greatest barrier to success is your fear of failure. I love that picture. <laughs> go, buddy, go, go, go. Don't let anybody knock you off your horse. Don't let anybody scare you. Don't let anybody say, oh, oh, these nurse practitioners. Nurse practitioners, I'm going, man, I'd love to get that podiatrist and drag him in my office and say, see that nurse practitioner right there? Her license is bigger than yours, dude. How dare he say, these nurse practitioners, like they said, but see, I'm used to it, because these chiropractors. We grew up in that environment. I don't care about being labeled like that. I'm changing healthcare. And someday, when there's sanity in healthcare, I'll be glad to say I was one of the people that did that. And so will you. Thank you.